0: Hi, this is Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. Why are Christians generally so supportive of Israel? How do Jews fit into the Christian story? All this and more in today's Thread Podcast. Welcome to Thread, God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life through verse by verse study of the Bible. In Season 4, we're exploring the bedrock of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-12. through 12. Season 4 of Thread is brought to you by MedialightOnline.com. We've got a lot of exciting things coming about as MediaLite this year expands into a stronger and stronger online presence. So check it out, MediaLightOnline.com. Well, let's start with a little recap. Because... Um, as we've said, the, the foundation of the entire Bible, the bedrock of the Scripture, is Genesis 1 through 12. And we've been on an amazing journey to slowly unpack these verses and what they mean in this story. So let's, uh, let's enter into this a little bit, and I'm not going to go back through everything that we've already studied, but I think it is important To do a bit of a recap before we get started today, Uh, we can open with the same question that was asked at the beginning of The Hobbit, which is, what kind of story have we fallen into? The importance of Genesis 1 through 12 is that it establishes a biblical cosmology. It's a big word for uh, a doctrine about the world that you live in. You know, the question is, what kind of world is this? This place that we all find ourselves living, why are things the way they are? Uh, is there a, a power called evil? Is it just a mechanism? You know, 300 years ago, they decided, oh, there's nothing spiritual about the universe. It's purely uh, chemicals and math, and it's uh, like a big just machine, and somehow sentient beings have come about in the middle of this. Well, even modern science has moved past that and said, nope, there's something unscientific about this universe. There's an awareness that all things seem to have, and there's, you know, there's a connectedness beyond just what, what math would say. And so there's, there's actually some really exciting new uh, thinking going on in science it's the same question. What kind of world is this? What is this place that we're all in? And I think Genesis gives us a very uh, robust framework for dealing with life. It helps us deal with pain and helps us find our purpose. It helps us make our decisions. I just think it's such an important uh, framework to get your hands on and not apologize for it, and not try to make it fit the world's cosmology. And just say, this is what the Bible says about the world. And here's where it starts. Number one, this world is the project. It is a creation of a supernatural being. And this, this being in, uh, introduces himself to us as humans as a maker And he's a maker with a dream. And his dream is to create this beautiful world. And he himself is going to live here. And he's not going to live alone. He is creating uh, a whole variety of creatures. Some are are creatures that you can't see. Some are creatures from the ocean. Some fly. Some uh, walk on land. But there are two kinds of creatures that He has made above all other things. There are two societies, and the concept of Father begins here. New Testament says He is where the concept of Father comes from. The whole family of humans in heaven and earth get their concept from Him. So the Creator, who we later learn, has a name Yahweh, which means I will be whatever I will be, you know, I am whatever I am. He is self-directed and completely free as being, and he creates one society that are, that are. I don't want to say more like him, but in, in their uh, essence, they are not material. At least they are not bound to be material. They can be seen. They can do things that it would require, it seems, uh, material presence to do, but they, they live beyond that. Son, sons of light, but he calls them sons. Uh, now they're creatures, and he's made them, but they're referred to as sons, and he creates a society of heavenly beings, and they watch him now turn to his uh, his dream of earth, and then the creation of another society of beings that is a little lower than them, and these are these are the dirt people. They are the planet. I mean, the planet is made of earth, and that's one of the the great things that happens in the story of creation is uh, you have the deep, and that is the the abyss, the primordial uh, soup, the abyss, and then from within the abyss up rises. Uh, you know, you've seen images like this in. Uh, Space movies sometimes, where a, you know, spaceship is under the under the waters, and then it rises up. Well, in this case, all the earth rises up, and the ground comes up out of the sea, and then from this dirt, everything comes. This this dirt is alive. It's got seeds. It's got things are sprouting. But not only that, all the animals. God takes the earth the dirt, and he makes animals, and they live, and then he makes his highest creature humans, and then he does this amazing thing. He bends over and breathes his own breath into clay man and clay woman, or dirt man, dirt woman, into the earth, and the earth itself stands up and starts to walk and think, and that's us. These are the Earth people, the dirt people. And it's amazing that he has made beings. And he gives these beings the same dangerous gift that he gave the heavenly sons, and that is freedom. He makes them free beings. I mean, that is, they can choose to love him, but they can choose to not love him, they can choose to obey him. And they can choose to disobey him. They can choose to uh, embrace him or to hate him. He gives them this same ability that he has because he makes them to be an image of him, and he has done the same thing with the heavenly beings. So you've got these two societies, two families, and in his dream, This becomes a blended world. It is a material world, but it is a spiritual world. It is a magical place where there's an overlap, and all the categories break down, and it's a heavenly, physical place, and he's going to live here, and he looks at all of it, and he says, this is just what I wanted. It is good. He's so happy with what he has created, and he enters his place of rest and now he turns over uh he makes a big decision he gives dirt man dominion over the planet this world of dirt will be ruled by dirt man and dirt man in male and female forms so that is where the drama of the bible's cosmology begins because this does not go down well with at least one heavenly creature, and one of the heavenly creatures uses their freedom and rebels, and poisons the mind through interaction with Adam and Eve. He poisons their mind against the Creator, and Adam and Eve, the first humans, join, and their. Their relationship is damaged. They ally themselves with the evil he- heavenly son, the fallen, the original rebel Elohim, and they collaborate with him against God, and this ruins everything. And so already the Bible is laying this down and saying this is one of the primary issues that this planet deals with, is the humans choosing their loyalties, uh, are they going to be rebels and push away from their creator? Or are they going to embrace their creator and walk with him in love? Well, because humans continue to make this choice, the world spins out of control. That's the next section in the story that we've been covering. And there's a collaboration with even more rebel Elohim. And there's an attempt in Genesis 6 to pollute the human uh bloodline and to like genetically alter and modify and mix and and it's just it keeps getting worse and the earth becomes filled with violence right up until the point when the creator looks at his planet and looks at every single human and he says it is ruined it it's full of violence and it is ruined. He didn't say it was damaged. He said it is ruined. It is past saving, and he had only one righteous human left, and he hits the global reset in Genesis 7, and he kills the entire planet. He wipes out all animal life. He wipes out all human life, except there was that one righteous human, and that one right human found grace in his sight and God looks down on Noah in love and he tells Noah what he's about to do, instructs Noah. He doesn't get a magic boat. He's told to build his own boat. You are the you are the co-regent of this planet. Save the planet. Save yourself, save your family, and save the animals. And so Noah builds, it takes him a hundred years to do it. And Noah builds this massive Rescue raft and into the ark go all, you know, a sample of all of the uh, air breathing animals, and they're all saved. And we come now to rebuilding the human race. So now you've got one good man, that's how we're going to start, one loyal son of God, and we're going to start over again. But even before we begin to rebuild the human population, God comes to a decision and this is probably the least celebrated moment in the Genesis story and I just think it's it's the key and that is in Genesis 8:21 he has endured himself the creator has endured the the disloyalty and the backstabbing of heavenly sons and earthly sons and daughters generation after generation thousands of years and humans have just ruined everything the entire dream uh is so close to falling apart and he has gone through the the personal trauma of watching everything that he made die not only die he himself had to destroy it he was in charge of it and he made the decision to to fix it and so he destroyed it. And having to do that when what you want is to create life and to bring joy uh, and to bring about this perfect world. And so now he's sitting there on the hope of the rebuild, and Noah makes an offering to him in uh, chapter 8, verse 20. And God breathes it and he smells it. Verse 21 says he smelled a soothing aroma and he said in his heart, and this is a really important sentence. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although, this that word is the big deal, although the imagination of man's heart is, and that Hebrew word is ra, we said that's the destruction activities, although the imagination, like man's imagination, the forming of a thought, The imagination of man's heart is on evil from his youth. But even though I will not, never again will I destroy every living thing as I have done. So there is this commitment made. It's an even though commitment. Even though humans, you know, the easy thing to do is kill all the humans. But that isn't what he wants. He wants a world where free will beings choose the good side, and allow this planet to go on. And so you have this this foreshadowing of a plan that's going to have to come about because humans will see right away, I mean, within days. Uh, humans are back to their old ways, and the son of Noah is already doing evil on the earth. And so God is anticipating this, and yet he's made a plan for it. I'm going to find a way to have free will on this planet and still accomplish the dream of what the world is supposed to be. Okay, so then we move ahead. We get to Genesis 11 and the establishment of Babylon. And Babylon rises up and becomes the default power over all human societies. So, you know, humans are imagining evil Right away. And in chapter 11, it becomes societal and uh, collaborative, and humans become a conspiracy against God a conspiracy to make themselves great, a conspiracy to be little gods, a conspiracy to use all the pillars of society uh, government, finance, military, education, the arts like all of it is going to be turned anti God. And it is still that way today. And so this is the context that all humans are going to have to live in. So, I mean, the battle gets even worse in so many ways, the battle for this planet. And this time to save the planet instead of killing everybody, God divides the entire nation, not into races, but into, I'm sorry, the entire human race, he divides not into races, but into nations. There's one human race that's the race that the Bible recognizes. all humans are one group. then there are nations. Uh, it's the same word for Gentiles. it's the same word for peoples it's the same it just means uh, people groups and these people groups are going to have their own tradition, culture and language. He divides human society which had spoken one language they were one people they had one culture they had one history one way of looking at the world, and he divides them into 70 nations to save the world, basically, because united, we just do evil, and it multiplies. And at this point in the story, God steps back from interacting with humans. He steps back from interacting with the 70 nations, and these 70 nations go on to develop languages, tradition, and culture of their own, and a thousand years passes. Uh, We know this because in chapter 11, uh, the the genealogy, I don't really want to get into this too much, but in, okay, chapter 10 is out of sequence with chapter 11, and it's on purpose. So you go from Noah's uh, reestablishment of life on the earth, and then chapter 10, starts to say, okay, Noah had three sons. These are the descendants of Noah, and this is sort of what they became known for. And as they do that, he breaks the genealogy to insert the story of Babel, and then he goes back to the genealogy in verse 10 of chapter 11. He goes back to Shem's, that's his eldest son. He goes back to his descendants because what he wants to do is get to the next big movement in the story, and this is God's secret plan. This is the reason that the Jewish people are so important in the Christian story and in the salvation of the world, and it is the introduction of a man from Babylon named Abram, and so God has stepped back from these, from humans. He's not engaging humans. A thousand years of silence goes by and then God reaches down and he touches one man and he says uh, he says the same word to him we'll be right back. family. Because finding loyal humans becomes the quest from now on. It is the beginning and it is the heart of the even though plan. Because uh, as we said last time, at the heart of the problem in the world is the the, hard, the hardness of the human spirit toward God. What the Bible calls the love, your heart, the inside of you, your inner guidance system, your inner GPS is set on destruction, God says. He says that humans are, they're set on the destructive side of building and tearing down. They're set on tearing down. They'd rather vandalize than build. And it's in their heart. And this thing's got to get removed. This hard, corrupted human heart has got to be removed. Ezekiel and Jeremiah wrote about this. And this heart has got to be replaced with a good heart, with God's own value system, with God's guidance system, with the the thinking that guides his heart and the attraction that guides him in his endeavors. His use of his own creative powers is driven by his heart. Jesus called it being born again, being born a second time having your old heart removed from you and having a new heart put in. And this is the plan because the earth must be made safe forever. We can't keep having this eternal battle between good and evil. It has to be settled. But it can only be settled in a way that free will beings get to choose freely to be loyal to God. And God is working to gather a family of the loyal. So the big question for him is always who will be loyal to me and to my authority as the king. This is the central question throughout the Bible throughout now throughout all time. And this loyalty to be loyalty, you have to prove that you're loyal. So loyalty has to be tested and it has to be proven and he starts this loyal family through one man from Babylon, and he says to him something very, very difficult to do in that culture, and that is leave your family. Let's go to Genesis 12, and sorry for all that ramp up, um, but I think it's important. Now, it seems like he had said this to Abraham some time ago, when they lived in another region. And Abraham had shared the message to his family, and his family got uh, enthused about it. Uh, Abraham's father was still the head of the tribe, and so Abraham announces to his father, we're, we're, gonna ha- we're having to read, read behind the story because of the way it opens. It says, now Yahweh had said to Abram, so apparently in Ur of the Chaldees, Yahweh speaks to Abraham and says, leave, look at the very first, get out of your nation, move away from your birthplace. I'm giving you the Hebrew, better Hebrew translations. Get out of your nation, so that's your people group. Move away from your, my uh, new King James says, family, but it's more the place, that's being meant. Move away from your birth, your place of birth, and from your father's house. That means household. Uh, dis- disconnect yourself from the community of your family and go to a land I will show you. And apparently Abraham said that, and his father said, yes, we will all go. And they all pack up and begin the journey, and you, we see that in chapter 11. Go up one, uh, one paragraph. It says that, his father had set out with the whole clan from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran, which is not Canaan, and they dwelt there. So we're back to brute, uh, boots and bricks. You know, God said, break away from society, break away from order, break away from the systems that you're in, break away from your family, and move into the chaos of rootlessness, and I, but walk with me. And so everybody says, yes, we're all up for that. And it might have been uncomfortable for Abraham. I don't know if he felt like he couldn't tell them all, no, you can't come. Maybe he thought this is a bigger victory if we all go together. But in the end, they get to the border of Canaan and they say, no, this place is actually really nice. And I don't know, maybe a family emergency came up, but something delayed and then delay turned into dwellings. And by then they've got nice life and they've got stuff and they start to prosper and they don't go anywhere. And finally his father dies and God speaks to, uh, he either speaks to Abraham again or it's Abraham is just reminded. But on Abraham's side, he doesn't have big speeches toward God. You know, when God tells him something, he just acts on it. And that's how you know your loyalties. Your loyalties are not through your words, they're through your actions. That determines the truth about us. And so he says to Abraham these things, get out of your nation, move away from your birthplace, leave your father's household and go to a land I will show you now is where the plan starts to be revealed. Now, here's something that we need to acknowledge. There is no one place in the Bible, where you see God's whole plan of salvation. There's no one place in the Old Testament that uh, says, and here's what God is going to do, and God's going to send Messiah, and Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be, there isn't, this is back to, remember the concept of a decentralized story. You know, there's some stories that are centralized, and we read them in like Noah's story, it's like You know, you run into it in the Bible, and you just keep reading, and the whole story is right there, nice and neat, and then you move on. Well, some of the biggest, deepest things in the Bible are not done that way. They are dropped in bits and scattered through centuries and maybe a thousand years between concepts. And I don't know why God does what He does. The one thing I do know is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians Uh, that these are secrets of God, and that if the, I'm going to use my language, rebel Elohim, he says rulers of this age, Paul says if if the powers had understood what God was doing in Jesus on the cross, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And so they do exactly what God wants them to do. But after it happens, see Jesus says this to the disciples once, he gave them some prophetic words. And then he says, I'm telling you this so that after it happens, you can look back and see, see what I was saying to you. And so, you know, a lot of times you get an idea about prophecy that you get a prophecy and that's so you can avoid it. But mostly in scripture, you don't avoid prophesied events. You just go through them. And many times it's in the rear view mirror that you go, oh, gee, that's what he meant, you know, and it's crystal clear. So there's a there's a little bit of uh, subterfuge sometimes because we're in a spiritual war for the life of the planet and for happiness for all humans forever. So he says to Abraham, "I'm I'm bringing you're my new plan. My plan involves you. Uh, it isn't Abraham isn't our savior. He's not going to bring us salvation." But God is going to begin to do things through this one man that starts a series of dominoes falling, but it begins with one loyal human. He needs one loyal human. And he says to him, I'm going to give you, verse 2, chapter 12, if you'll be loyal to me, I'm going to give you everything that the people of Babel, when humans were one people. I'm going to give you what they were seeking for because they wanted to be a great nation. They wanted to be blessed. They wanted their name to be respected and honored. He said, I'm going to do all that. Let's look at verse two. I will make you a great nation. Now, a nation is not necessarily a political nation. These are people groups. I will make you. There are 70 of them and that uh, symbolizes all that there are. And God says, all right, I'm not engaging. You know, our, our history shows us God is not engaging those 70 nations. They're, they're out there in their own development. They have pushed away from him. They resist him, and he is not engaging them. He chooses one single man and says, I'm going to make you a people group all by yourself. You are going to become a people group And in our understanding of that, it means they're going to have tradition, language, and culture. And I am going to make you a great people group. Chapter two, the very first line. That's the first of of the blessings. I will make you a great people group. Number two, I will bless you. I I will endorse you, protect you, provide for you, make things you touch grow. I will bless you. I will make your name to be honored. I will make your name Abram. Now, that's what the Tower of Babel builders said. Let's make a name for ourselves in chapter 11, verse 4. Uh, resisting God, they want their own name to be great. They're not here for the glory of Yahweh. They're here for their glory. And Yahweh is not uh, insecure about making other people great. He says, I'm, I'm happy for humans to be great. And I'm happy for you to be great. I want and I will do it myself. I will make your name great. People will speak your name in your lifetime. People will speak your name with a deep sense of honor and respect for you. And he drops in another thing that's so important to understanding these blessings and all blessings. And that is you shall be a blessing. I will bless you, but you shall be a blessing. You know, you are good medicine. When you get into relationship with people, they will benefit because of you. Anyone who, and he goes on with that, anyone, verse 3, who relationally is positive toward you, and they are, you know, tov, anyone who works to build you up, anyone that tries to open doors for you, anyone who helps protect you, anyone who helps provide for you, anyone who, you know, is loyal to you, I will bless those people. And anyone who is raw, anyone who is trying to destroy you and hurt you and damage you, I will damage them. I will... Probably good translation here is, I will damn him who damns you. Uh, Anyone who is trying to curse and crush you, I will curse and crush them. Why? Why Abraham? What's the big deal? I mean, he, he proves not to be the most morally perfect man, like the very next chapter. You see human weakness in him, and we're back to this again. We do not establish our relationship with God based on moral perfection. We do not lose our relationship with God based on moral imperfection because his covenant with humans, since the ark, since the recovery of humans from the flood, his covenant with humans says, even though, even though the human heart is what it is, I will not destroy this people. So there's an even though space in God's heart for you. Don't ever be afraid that your failures, plural, because we all fail not once in our life. uh, Don't ever be afraid that your failures takes you somehow outside of grace, outside of forgiveness, outside of God's mercy. Just get up, brush yourself off, go face the Lord, tell him exactly what you did, clean up your mess the best that you can, Make the best policy changes you can in your own life to strengthen yourself in that area again and keep walking. Just walk with me, the Lord says. And so Abraham comes out. Why is Abraham so important? Because he's perfect? No, because he's the plan. The plan comes through Abraham, but it's really not Abraham. He says in verse 3, In you, Paul will later say in the New Testament, in your seed, because the next time God has this same, this same speech between God and Abraham occurs twice in Scripture. And the next time God says these words to him, a few chapters forward, when he gets to this part in you, all the families, he's going to say, in your seed. Uh, and that word seed is connected to sperm. It is connected to to your offspring, and it is this is something Paul latches on to. And Paul says, through your genetic line, God brings the blessing, not just to people who know Abraham personally, because that's what's been covered so far in verse 2, that people who know you personally get blessed. But Paul says the big point of what God was saying to Abraham is that through the seed line of Abraham... A man would rise up and he would break the curse and bring blessing to the entire race of humans. So, uh, verse three here in you, all the families of the earth, all the families of the soil, all the families of the dirt will be blessed. Verse four so Abraham departed as Yahweh had spoken to him. You know, no big words. Just obedient actions. Stay tuned. Obeying the Lord and proving yourself loyal. It's the beginning of a journey that's going to stretch through many mysterious prophecies in the Old Testament. And some of these prophecies will seem contradictory to each other, like how can it be both? And then later, history will show that, no, it happened both ways, like uh, that, that Jesus can be from Nazareth and Bethlehem and called out of Egypt. And when you read the Jesus story, you see all these Three things coming about. And so God sees where He's headed, and the prophecies are like breadcrumbs and they lead us, not so we can get there ahead of God, but so that after God gets there, we can look backwards and see all the pieces line up and realize that we really are standing in a move of God and we are standing on the work of God. And we can decide in that moment to cooperate with God and to join him in his journey to save the world. For me, and wrapping up here, uh, for me, uh, this is the most important part of a biblical cosmology. I need to join the story of God. He has done a thing in history. He created a world that was in his dream, and it has gone wrong, but it is not a lost cause, and he has a plan that restores all things, and he has a, a human history now that is filtering out all those who would use their free will just to destroy and just to be disloyal. And Jesus says he will filter them out like bad fish in a net, like uh, weeds in a garden. They will be sifted and they will be filtered. Interestingly, it's the spiritual sons who do this filtering because they are called the watchers. And they are watching human behavior and they know who is who. And there is a judgment on all humans in the end and the great filter is applied and everyone is pulled off who is disloyal, hurtful to the world, to the Lord, to the planet. And then those who are loyal and faithful to him are brought back to life, and this planet lives again, and God returns to his uh, his dream of rebuilding this world. So as we as we go forward into this, it teaches us the world that we're in. We're in a world where Babylon is the the context where fallen spiritual powers are now behind human structures, and they are energizing the economic system, the educational system, the governmental system, the military systems, the media systems. All these systems run by humans are energized by fallen spiritual powers, and the humans. Uh, in collaboration, their minds sold out to this darkness and they call evil things good. What does that mean? You spin it and you twist it and you tell part of the story and fake news it. And in every way you can, you try to put pressure on good, loyal people who are standing with Yahweh and this pressure builds. Jesus has, you know, his own chapter that he adds to this is a really clear chapter as he explains the uh, the conclusion to the big story, and then we get the book of uh, the Revelation of Saint John, as he has visions that he sees in it. it you know, it just it's the same story though. It just sharpens down to the conclusion. God is building His world. This world is a hybrid overlap place where the spirit world and the material world go together, where His heavenly sons and His human sons and daughters live as one family with no border between us, and God is healing heaven, and He is healing earth, and He's doing all of it through Jesus, the seed of Abraham. And so we honor Jewish people. We honor the Jewish line. We honor all that has been done through Abraham to bring us to Christ and through Christ to the world. So it's a beautiful story, it's a clear story, it lets us know that we are engaged in spiritual war, and that the core decision you and I have to make, my friend, is whether we are going to be loyal to God. We're never going to be morally perfect, but we do have a chance to be loyal to God. Uh, I want to do two or three extra episodes. I I have a commitment when when I do, I'm wrapping up here, but... When uh, I when I create thread episodes, my commitment is to stay verse by verse and try not to get tech uh, topical in teachings. And so I'm just moving through and we have moved now to uh, Genesis 12 verse 4. And that's about where I want to stop this study. But I want to go back now and do two, at least two, maybe three extra episodes. I want to do one on to help you a little bit understand textual matters. I want to talk about manuscripts and talk through some of the differences in manuscripts. And I want to look at two outside passages, because I think they're really important, in, in clarifying our understanding of what's going on between the Tower of Babel and the work of God a thousand years later through Abraham. And that is, I want to look at Deuteronomy 32, so why don't you go ahead and spend some time reading that, and Psalms 82, because these are both referring to the Tower of Babel story. So Deuteronomy 32 and Psalms 82, and maybe also to talk a little bit about Jewishness and the law uh, and Christianity because I think that's an interesting topic. So uh, these last three episodes they won't you know they won't exactly fit in verse by verse as a concept, but I think there are some things in them that tie to the thought box that we've created to put in our cosmology now and it will round out the picture for all of us. So until next time, just expect God to use you. Because you are the light of the world, is loyal sons and daughters.